0: have a Bible study, so we're going to be in part five of our series, Behold the Days Are Coming. Today our subject is the Antichrist and the Tribulation Period. If you'll turn in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, 8, and 9, I'll be reading verses from there. And then also I'll make reference to the book of Revelation, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. and um, But I'm going to read from Daniel chapter 7, um, and chapter 8, and chapter 9. There's a lot of confusion about the Antichrist, who's going to be, I've heard teachings that the Antichrist is just a general term for human government, Uh, the tribulation period, there are Christians that I've talked to over the last couple months that have heard teaching that we're in the tribulation period, Um, we're going to talk about all that, Uh, there are some who even say that we're in the millennium reign of Jesus Christ, if this is the millennium reign of Jesus Christ, I'm very disappointed, so... So we just want you to have clarity and understanding concerning these things in this series, Behold, the Days Are Coming. For many of you, this may be a general review, but for a lot of people that have been coming through the services, this is brand new to them. And so we want to have clarity and understanding. So the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, chapter 7, I'm going to begin reading at verse 23. Verse 23. And Daniel in chapter seven, he has this vision of these four beasts that come out of the sea. And the fourth beast really caught his attention. It had ten horns. And in the midst of the ten horns was this little horn. And as he looked at this beast, it doesn't tell us what kind of beast it was, um, but it does tell us that this beast, uh, which Daniel wanted to know about, it got his attention, was different from the others, exceedingly dreadful, its teeth of iron, its nails of bronze. And devouring broken pieces and trampled the residue with his feet. So Daniel here is receiving interpretation of his vision that he got. And this little horn that comes out amongst the ten horns. Let's begin to look at that and then continue in chapter 8. A few verses in chapter 9. And we'll kind of put it all together. But in verse 23 of Daniel chapter 7. The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all the other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. Verse 24, the ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the first ones, and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High. And shall intend to change times and laws, then the saint shall be given into his hand for a time, times and a half time. Time is one year, times two years, half time, so that's three and a half years. And then we see he had another vision in chapter eight. And he's told in chapter eight, as we go into verse twenty-three, the interpretation of the vision, speaking of the latter time in verse twenty-three. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise, having fierce features, who understands sinister schemes. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully, and shall prosper and thrive, and he shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. Through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule." And he shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken without human means. And then in chapter 9, Daniel has the third vision, and that is he's told the prophecy, which is called the 70 weeks of Daniel. Very important prophecy, as Daniel is at the end of the captivity. He's an elderly man. He's praying about the 70 years, the nation uh, that is coming out of this captivity. Gabriel, the angel, comes to him and says, Daniel, I'm going to tell you about 70 weeks. And we read in that prophecy of the 70 weeks of Daniel in verse 26 of the chapter that after 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end of it shall be with the flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring in to sacrifice an offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So let's pray before we get into our comments. Lord, I do pray that you would just help us to be attentive right now. We, Lord... Honor your word. Even as David wrote, that you honor your word above your name. And Lord, as we are in this teaching environment, we want to be still before you, attentive, free from distractions. Help us to remember to turn ringers off phones. And Lord, uh, in these few minutes that we talk about this one that will come on the scene, Lord, we do want to be just set in our hearts and set in our minds that knowing that this is going to come to pass, that that, that, behold, the days are coming. And Lord, that it's not given to us to frighten us, it's not given to us to shake our minds up or trouble us, but it's given to us that we may be wise in discerning the days in which we are in. And Lord, so I pray that you would teach us through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes people, they've asked me, they, they ask me this all the time, but particularly over the last couple weeks since we've been going through this series, that why is it important to study in time prophecy? And I've given some of those reasons, even um, in the first four weeks of our series, that we do know that prophecy helps us to understand the whole Bible. Keep in mind that 27% of the whole Bible is prophecy. There are 300 references to the Lord's coming in the New Testament. That is one out of every 30 verses for, for every time that the Bible mentions Jesus' first coming, listen, the second coming is mentioned eight times. We are exhorted to be ready for the return of Jesus Christ over 50 times. Prophecy also motivates us to live godly lives. That John says, when we see him, we will be like him, and, and he who has this hope purifies himself. In other words, when the Lord comes for us, uh, knowing that he can come for us at any time causes us to live a life of purity, living for him. And then we also know that as we look to uh, prophecy, that prophecy declares the sovereignty of God over time and history. In other words, Isaiah says that God, he knows the end from the beginning. And one of the most documented periods of time that we have in the scriptures is a time called the tribulation period. There are some 36 terms that the Bible uses for this period. The day of the Lord, the day of wrath, the time of the end, Jacob's trouble, the day of vengeance, Daniel's 70th week, the great tribulation. And we know that for the most part that the tribulation, and we do know the Bible tells us that it is a time where God intervenes in the affairs of man more directly and dramatically in the history of the world, with the exception of Jesus coming and dying for our sins. And at the conclusion of that seven-year period, Jesus is going to return to this earth. We will come with him as the armies of heaven come riding on white horses behind Jesus. Revelation chapter 19 declares that. Even as Jude, he writes that he comes with ten thousands of his saints. And we know that the tribulation period is a seven-year period. We know that clearly from what we read in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. And that prophecy given to us, that we just are going to spend a few minutes looking at, the 70 weeks of Daniel is given to us In the chapter, chapter 9 of Daniel, it's extremely important for us to understand that prophecy because it sets the timeline of what is still to be fulfilled. And time won't allow us to look at it in detail, but I would refer you to our study that we did in Daniel not long ago in Daniel's chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Again, when Gabriel comes to Daniel and says, Daniel, I've come to speak to you, not about 70 years, but 70 weeks. Whenever you read that term week in the Old Testament, it speaks of a period of seven years. If I was to say to you a decade, you would know that it's a period of 10 years. So 70 weeks or 70 periods of seven years are determined, Daniel, for your people and your holy city. There are those who will try to tell me that the 70 weeks of Daniel is for the church. It's not for the church, for your people, Daniel, who were Daniel's people, the Jews and the holy city was Jerusalem 70 years to bring a consummation and 70 years uh, for your people, your holy city. And then he begins to explain Gabriel or give the prophecy to Daniel And he says, as we read in verse 26, that after 69 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. Speaking of Jesus' crucifixion. And then the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So from the time we will look at it, when we go into the book of Nehemiah, uh, after, um, you know, the Christmas season, the first of the year, in Nehemiah chapter 2, when Nehemiah is before Artaxerxes, the king of the Medes and the Persians, that he asked to go back to rebuild the walls and the streets around Jerusalem. And he's given that command 445 B.C., 69 periods, says seven years, 483 years, and we've done the calculations, you come to 32 AD, where Jesus would ride into Jerusalem, riding on the back of a foal of a donkey, the people are are waving the palm branches, they're crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was the first time that Jesus publicly accepted worship, and the religious leaders, knowing that the people are ascribing to him the title of Messiah, they said, tell your disciples, tell the people to be quiet. And Jesus said, if they're quiet, the very rocks will cry out. And he wept over Jerusalem because he said, they should have known the day of your visitation. This is the time that Daniel spoke about, 483 years after the command to rebuild and restore Jerusalem. We know that in 70 AD, that Rome and the Titus legions would surround Jerusalem and they would... Destroyed Jerusalem in the second temple to where not one stone was left upon another, even as Jesus declared in the Olivet Discourse. So here's the prophecy is given 600 years before it would be fulfilled. And we know that as that the prophecy continues here, that Rome would destroy Jerusalem. And then he goes on to say that then he, who is he? The prince who is to come. She'll confirm a covenant with many for one week or a seven-year period. So as we know that there is one is going to come out of this, what is called the revived Roman Empire. Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7 are very important again in the visions that are given to us. In chapter 2, is called the foundation of Bible prophecy. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has this dream. It very much troubled him. So he called for his wise men. Hey, tell me the dream and the interpretation of the dream. And they couldn't do it. So Daniel says, I'm going to give you the dream, Nebuchadnezzar, what you had, and I'm going to give you the interpretation so you know that it comes from God. And in that dream, uh, we read in Daniel chapter 2, that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed of an image of a man made of different metals. And the head is gold. That's you, Nebuchadnezzar. And then you're going to be replaced by another kingdom that is the Medo-Persian Empire. And then the, 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 another kingdom, the Alexander the Great and the Grecian Empire. And in that image, There was the legs of iron that spoke of Rome. Again, they ruled the world, the known world, at the time of Jesus' ministry. And then he would speak of the feet. The feet were iron, mingled with clay, had ten toes. They were extension of the old Roman Empire, not exactly the same, brittle. And the ten toes, we are told in Daniel chapter 2, are ten kings. And those ten kings, listen are going to be in existence at the time that Jesus Christ comes back. And in that vision, the rock hits the image, crumbles the image, and then grows. It speaks of the kingdom of God. So that's very important for us to understand in light of what we read about here in Daniel chapter 7. And we know that as we see that in the last days, this fourth kingdom, a revived Roman empire in the last days, where the prince who is to come will rise to power, He's called the little horn of Daniel, chapter 7. The son of perdition, he's called the man of sin. In Revelation, chapter 13, he's called the beast. John, in his epistle, calls him uniquely the Antichrist. He has 33 titles in the Old Testament, 13 in the New Testament. And according to Daniel, chapter 9, verse 27, there's still a week, which is seven years, that begins with this one who will rise up to be a world leader, such as the world never seen before again, with the exception of Jesus, and will confirm a covenant with Israel. We know that the 70th week of Daniel, or what we refer to as the tribulation period, begins with the rise of the Antichrist. Daniel, called the forerunner to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 6 through 19 declares to us the events that will take place in that seven-year period, and the Antichrist takes center stage. He is seen in Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, in the first seal that has opened up. He comes riding on a white horse. He's conquering on the conqueror. He has a bow, but he doesn't have an arrow. So you can write in your notes, which is really important so you don't get confused, and you can show it to people who say, well, we're in the tribulation period. We're not in the tribulation period. That the tribulation period begins with the rise of the Antichrist. It does not begin with the rapture of the church. You see, the rapture of the church is before the tribulation period. And there will be a gap of time between the rapture of the church and when the Antichrist comes on the scene. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. That we are told that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. Then the lawless one... Will be revealed. The lawless one, again, another title of the Antichrist. I believe what Paul's referring to when he says that only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way, that he's making a reference to the indwelling Holy Spirit in us believers, the church. The church is a restraining factor. And when we are removed, when we are taken out of and away from the hour of tribulation, Revelation chapter 3, that shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth, when we are removed, then that restraining factor is removed and the Antichrist will be able to be revealed. And always keep in mind that we, the church, we are told to keep our focus and our priority and to be looking for Jesus Christ. We're never told to be looking for the Antichrist and how much time is going to be between the rapture of the church. And when the Antichrist comes on the scene, that first seal that is opened up, when he makes a covenant with Israel for seven years, it could be just a few days, I suppose, a few weeks, a few months, a few years. We don't know for sure, but I think it's going to be a fairly short amount of time because can you imagine a world with no Christians Can you imagine what this nation would be like with absolutely no Christians when the church is removed? And always keep in mind that we are a restraining factor. In other words, when you are praying, as you're being a light in the darkness, as you are given truth, there's a restraining factor that is there that keeps lawlessness from just completely taking over. So we're a restraining factor, as Paul writes, that we will restrain until we're taken out of the way. Then the lawless one is going to be revealed. And we know that Christ, the Antichrist will rise to power at that time, and he'll make a covenant with Israel, as I said. The tribulation period is divided in the first half, three and a half years. And then in the middle of the tribulation period, we know that something very significant happens that leads then to the second half of the tribulation period, the last three and a half years, referred to as the great tribulation, referred to as Jacob's trouble. Daniel writes concerning the nation of Israel that it will be trouble such as the nation has never seen or ever will see again. So in your notes number two, you can write that the Antichrist is going to be a political leader. Again, reading from Daniel chapter 7. Uh, I'm going to read to you from uh, the verse 19. As Daniel says, I wish to know of Daniel 7 again, to know the truth about the fourth beast, uh, different from the others, exceedingly dreadful, with his teeth of iron, its nails of bronze, and devouring broken pieces and trampled the residue with his feet. And the ten horns that were on his head... The other horn, verse eight, he calls it the little horn, which came up before which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. Daniel is given the interpretation of the fourth beast here. The fourth beast had ten horns and on its head, which we are told are ten kings that we read at the beginning of our teaching. It correlates with the ten toes of Daniel chapter two. And this little horn that comes up among the ten horns, his appearance is greater than the others. He shall subdue three kings, speak pompous words against the most high God. These ten horns, last day kings, referred to as that revived Roman Empire, uh, the extension of the old Roman Empire uh, as this leader here. Is going to be a world leader. He speaks pompous words. It can be translated great things. To the world, it's great things. To God, it's blasphemous things. And people will embrace him. Revelation chapter 13 tells us in verse 7 that authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. So I believe that Daniel in the book of Revelation clearly tells us that he will be a world leader. The text that we read in chapter 8 of Daniel tells us of the Antichrist that a king shall arise, having fierce countenance, who understands sinister schemes. He is cunning and causes deceit to prosper under his rule. He will exalt himself in his heart. He destroys many in their prosperity. In other words, he will be very intelligent, he will be very persuasive, he has a smooth tongue, he's a great orator. He's going to be, use flattery, but he's going to deceive the whole world. Another interesting thing told to us about the Antichrist. In Revelation chapter 13, we read that John the Revelator in verse 3, that he writes, I saw one of his heads as though it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. So it seems to indicate to us that the Antichrist is, is going to have an accident, or there's an assassination attempt against him. Perhaps he's wounded in battle, a military, you know, uh, he's wounded in a a battle or something. But he experiences a deadly wound. And he is dead, or nearly dead, and then he's healed. Zechariah also makes mention of it in the Old Testament, in chapter 11. He writes about it, he says, woe to the worthless shepherd, that's the title of Antichrist, who leaves the flock. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. His arm shall be completely withered and his right eye totally blinded. Whether he really did die or not, he is healed and then he wins the world's affection. The world will marvel and begin to follow after him. So he's going to come on the scene as a world leader. He will destroy his enemies who get in his way. He will be directly influenced and empowered by Satan himself. As we read in chapter 8, his power shall be mighty, but it's not of his own power. And we know that second or thirdly, the third thing is that the Antichrist will be a religious leader. This is really what the Antichrist is about. Again, that reference to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9. That the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all powers, signs, and lying wonders. In the beginning of the tribulation period, in the first three and a half years, Revelation chapter 17 tells us that there's going to be a false church on the scene, a one-world religious system supported by the kings of the world. And this false church, if you would, is riding the beast. In other words, he uses the false church for his purposes. This false religious system will persecute true believers, the tribulation saints. And a little side note. That people will get saved in the tribulation period. We see that very clearly in the book of Revelation. In chapter 7, there's 144,000, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. There are Jewish believers that are going to be evangelists that will go throughout the world and evangelize. And a result of that, Revelation chapter 7, is from every tribe, tongues, people, and nations that you see them clothed in white, that they're, you know, believers in Christ. So we see that's their ministry. Now, there has been a lot of questions asked to me that if you give somebody the gospel and the rapture happens and they go into the tribulation period, is it impossible for them to get saved? There are those that will teach that, and I'll tell you why. Because from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that we do see that this lawless one, that the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume, this is verse 8, with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming lawless one, according to his working of Satan, all power, signs, and line wonders. Verse 10 with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. So there are those who come to the conclusion that if you heard the gospel and you go into the tribulation period, that it's impossible for you to be saved. I I agree with Bible teachers that say that's going outside the boundaries of what's being told to us. I believe that many will be, believe in the lie. Strong delusion comes to them. We know that what is the lie? Endless speculation on that. I think you keep it in context in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The lie is that the Antichrist is God. He wants to be worshipped as God. We do know this, and I'll make reference to it in just a little bit. There will be an angel in Revelation chapter 14 that will fly across the whole earth and give the everlasting gospel, say that Babylon has fallen, and then an angel will say, do not take the mark of the beast, and if you do, there's no hope of salvation. That is clear. But to say that if you heard the gospel and you go into the tribulation period, that there's no hope of salvation, uh, I believe that, that God is He sends those 144,000 out that are going to be a witness. I pray that they come to salvation. Uh, I hope they do, and so do you. So I tend to fall into that category that it doesn't say that it's impossible. I do believe that many will be given over to the lie. But there are some, by God's grace, and because the church is taken out of and away from the hour of tribulation, as the church is that restraining factor, it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit won't be working. The Holy Spirit will be working because no one can come to Christ, whether it's now uh, in the church age or in the tribulation period, without the drawing of the Holy Spirit. So just a little bit of a comment on those things. But we do know that people will get saved, the Antichrist will destroy that false church that's on the scene, this woman called the harlot, a religious Babylon. And the reason that he does that, because in the middle of the tribulation period, he, as Second Thessalonians chapter 2 tells us, will go into the temple of God to proclaim himself as God, to be worshipped as God. There will be a temple rebuilt in Jerusalem. Matter of fact, they've been building it in a sense for years. They got all the furnishings ready to go, all the garments for the priests, Everything's ready to go, Train for sacrifices. They just need a building. And so many believe that when the Antichrist confirms a covenant with Israel for one week, it's going to allow them to build that, that temple. And in the middle of the week, as it's told to us in Daniel chapter 9 here, that he will, in the middle of the week, she'll bring an end to sacrifice and offering. On the wing of abomination, she'll be one who makes desolate. It's called the abomination uh, The abomination of desolations. When he goes in and desecrates the temple. When he goes in and proclaims himself to be worshipped as God. The Antichrist directly influenced and empowered by Satan. As he alone wants to be worshipped. So that's why he destroys that false church. He alone wants the adoration of the world. And we know that that's something that Satan has always wanted. To be worshipped. Isaiah chapter 14, he rebelled because he wanted to sit on the throne. He wanted to exalt himself over God. In the temptation of Jesus, what did Satan do? He brings Jesus up to see the kingdoms of the world. And he said, all these are yours if you just bow down and worship me. So the beginning of what is called the great tribulation is when he goes and he desecrates the temple. The abomination of desolation. That begins the great tribulation period, the last three and a half years. Jesus said concerning that time, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, he says, flee, get out of there, you and Judea, because it will be a time of great tribulation such as the world has never seen or ever will see again. Again, Daniel chapter 12 says the nation will go through a time of trouble like they've never seen before. Daniel chapter 8, verse 25 The Antichrist exalt himself in his heart. In chapter 7, verse 25, tells us he speaks pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, shall intend to change times in law. What does that mean? We're not exactly sure. Perhaps change the calendar, holidays, no religious holidays. In a sense, we we see that, and you can't have nativity scenes at Christmas. You can't speak of Christ. You can't speak of Jesus at Easter and the resurrection and the empty tomb. So he may come along and say, no Christian holidays, no Yom Kippur, no Ramadan. Nothing to do with or give observance to any other religion or any other god, little g. Especially the true and the only god, big G, and to Jesus Christ. You see, Antichrist not only means against Christ, but it also takes on the meaning of instead of Christ. And then in verse 25 of Daniel 7, we read, it goes on to tell us, but the saints were given into his hands for a time, one year, times two years, half times three and a half years. We know from Revelation chapter 12 that the dragon, the Satan, will go and persecute the Jews very heavily. He will use the Antichrist. They will have a remnant that will flee to the wilderness the rock city Petra is believed for three and a half years. He will kill many Jews and tribulation believers. Revelation chapter 13 tells us that all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. Can you imagine a world that breaks out in satanic worship? That's what's going to happen. We also told in that chapter that there is a false prophet Now, Jesus warned that one of the signs of the end times is there will be many false prophets and teachers deceiving many. But there will be a false prophet that will work signs and wonders and point people to the beast to to worship the beast. So you kind of have this, in a way, a false trinity. You have the dragon, chapter 12. You have the dragon that is empowering and influencing the Antichrist. And then you have the false prophet that is pointing to the Antichrist to worship him. In Revelation chapter 14, I already made a reference to it, that the three angels, one proclaiming the everlasting gospel, the second one proclaiming that Babylon has fallen, that's religious Babylon in chapter 17, commercial Babylon in chapter 18 of Revelation, and then the third angel proclaiming, do not worship the beast or receive his mark, then there's no hope of salvation. Very heavy chapter, which leads to that the Antichrist is going to be, number four, an economic leader. He will set up an economic system to where if you don't take his mark, called the mark of the beast, on their right hand or forehead, you will not be able to buy or sell. Now, there's all kinds of speculation what exactly that mark is, little chip, whatever, the, the technology is there. But let me tell you what it's not. Because I was so surprised during COVID, when the vaccine came out for COVID, people calling and saying, I think I took the mark of the beast. Or I watched the YouTube of this guy who said, if I get vaccinated, take the mark of the beast. My point is not whether you should have been vaccinated or not. That's between you and the Lord and your doctor. But I can tell you this. You did not take the mark of the beast. Okay? You're not in the tribulation period. You're not giving worship to a man who proclaims himself to be God. So you always got to keep everything in its context. You need to match it up with the, what the word of God has to say. There are those even good Bible teachers that I've considered good Bible teachers that will come along and they'll talk about the blood moons and the shemitas and all of this and the blood moon and they'll jolf quote from Joel chapter 2 that the uh, you know, moon is going to turn to blood and the sun's going to go dark. They're quoting from the day of the Lord. That's the tribulation period. We're not in the tribulation period. So keep everything in its context as you hear these different teachings. And as we go through this, hopefully some clarity. There's endless speculation of who the Antichrist is. Um, you know, uh, the economic system set up is making allegiance and worship to the beast. His number is 666, the number of a man. Endless speculation over the years. I've been teaching the Bible who the Antichrist is when a political leader comes on the scene or a president or a leader in Europe. And, And if you take his... Full name or or her full name, and you run it through the Latin alphabet, the numerical value, or the Hebrew alphabet, or the Greek alphabet, it comes up to 666. See, there's the Antichrist. Keep in mind that the Antichrist is not going to be revealed until the restraining factor is taken out of and away from the hour of tribulation. Again, you know, if you want to speculate, fine, but keep your focus on Jesus. I don't think about trying to figure out numerical values, who the Antichrist is. I remember one time, somebody sent me a, a YouTube of something of, that this guy was convinced that, you remember years ago, Barney, the little kid show, the, the purple dinosaur, he was the Antichrist corrupting our kids, and... Uh, The Antichrist, number five, will be a military leader. Daniel 11 tells us that he'll promote the God of fortress. I I can't imagine Barney going out and (laughs) (laughs) leaving. I'm trying to lighten things up a little bit, all right. But the Antichrist initially comes on the scene as a peacemaker, Revelation chapter 6, verse 2. He comes riding on a white horse. He has a bow, but not an arrow. He comes seemingly as a peacemaker, making a covenant with Israel for a week. But then his true colors are going to be revealed as a false peace. Because Satan is a liar. He's a deceiver. He's a destroyer. And he will begin to use military means to gain the world. Daniel 11 describes the kings of the south and the north with many ships and chariots. Revelation chapter 16, the kings of the east, they will meet in the valley of Megiddo in the last world war called the Battle of Armageddon. And in the middle of that battle, Jesus will come back to establish the kingdom. Jesus said, if those days were not shortened, no flesh would be saved. That's a remarkable statement. They say that the United States has five times the nuclear arsenal. China, Russia, four times the nuclear arsenal. In other words, we have enough nuclear weapons to blow the world up five times, like one time isn't enough. But we can destroy ourselves with what we have. And if Jesus didn't come back or doesn't come back at that time, man would have destroyed himself. And he comes back, Jesus, at the end of the tribulation period, and the Antichrist and the false prophet will be cast into the lake of fire. But I want to end with this, and then we're going to go to the communion table. Get back to the book of Daniel. and Daniel chapter 7, the last verse there, it tells us that this is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me. My countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Then the last verse of chapter 8, in verse 27. As he sees that vision, he says, "And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days, and afterwards, I arose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. Daniel seeing these vision, he's troubled in his heart. You know, he, he fainted. It was so overwhelming, in other words. he was sick for days, but he did something that you and I are to do. For some of you, this is a review. For others, many have been coming through the services. This is brand new. That, that they come out and, and they're just overwhelmed. And this is heavy. And, and I understand that. But I want us to know this. That you and I are to be about the king's business. Because it is difficult days that are ahead for us. And next week we're going to talk about deception that is in the church today. There's teachings that the church is going to take over the world And we're going to usher in the second coming. And there's going to be super apostles and prophets and all of this. Sounds very wonderful. But the Bible doesn't talk about that at all. So we know and we understand that there is a period of tribulation coming. Where not only the Antichrist takes center stage. But we know that God will be pouring out his wrath on a Christ rejected world. But you and I belong to a kingdom that lasts forever. And when... Paul was writing to the church at Thessalonica. He said, don't be shaken in mind. Don't be troubled, thinking that you've missed the rapture of the church. We're not in the day of the Lord. Jesus would say, don't be troubled in your heart to the disciples. You believe in God, believe also in me. And in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going to come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you will be also. We are told to remind you again that we're to be watching and waiting Looking for the master's return, living for him. Keep your focus on Jesus Christ. And listen, be about the king's business. All right? Occupy till he comes. Because we are headed for difficult days. When's the Lord going to come for us? I don't know. But I do know this, tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. This Christmas season, as some of you will have an empty seat at your dinner table because of somebody who went home to be with the Lord or somebody who passed away. I know I will, my mom. And I know there are others as well. And it is a time for us, the church, to continue to be a light, to continue to watch, to be a watchman on the wall to give warning and to be looking for his return to be praying for those who are linked to us in our lives because the time is going to come when the trumpet's going to blow or he's going to come for us personally. And one of the saddest verses that we have in Scripture is Jeremiah where he's watching the destruction of Jerusalem. He said, summer's over. Harvest is in. And we're not saved. So for me, it gives me an urgency to be about the king's business to occupy till he comes he has something for you to do when you leave this place you are put in a place where you can be light, you can be a witness you can give truth that you can be used of him and where he's placed you in your family to the people that are linked to you and however that might be, this Christmas season. So, Father, we thank you that we're reminded in all this heaviness that to, to be about the King's business, to be looking to you. And Lord, I pray that as we read this, it be sobering to us that this world's not getting it brighter and. Lord, I pray for revival in the days ahead. I really do. I pray for our nation revival an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. I know you want to do that. But I also know that it's consummating into a time that's going to be very troubling and difficult. So help us to be about being a witness with our lives and the words we speak about the King's business. Because we can get caught up with the cares of life very easily, get distracted away from really being sensitive to your leading, praying for others that that we know aren't saved, giving a word of encouragement to lack in prayer. We all struggle with that, Lord. So remind us. Remind us. To stand strong for you in the days in which we're in. To be the watchman on the wall. Stand firm for your truth. And be light in the darkness. As we come to the communion table, we know that as we hold the elements, this is for believers. Not just if you call Calvary Chapel your home church. It's for anyone who's a believer in Jesus Christ. But if you are here... Or anyone who's listening, you have not made a commitment to Jesus Christ. Today's today's salvation. Because this world is going to come to an end. This side of eternity is going to come to an end for us. And we will give account of what we did with Jesus Christ. Have you confessed that you're a sinner in need of Jesus to be forgiven, to repent? It means Change direction and commit your life to Jesus. That's why he came the first time as the suffering Savior. To die for your sins because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And as he went to the cross, he made atonement for your sins and he cried out, it is finished. He's put into the tomb and he rose again. Lord, as we've recognized, there are many religions, but only one empty tomb, only one Lord, the true Savior, Son of God, who's now at your right hand. And he says to you, if you've not made a commitment to Jesus, to call out on him and confess you're a sinner, to come. Call out on the name of the Lord and as you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you can do that right now. Today's the day of salvation. Don't wait. And you can do that sincerely in your heart by praying, Jesus, I come and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. Forgive me, a sinner. You rose again from the grave. Savior, to sit upon the throne of my life and I thank you I belong to a kingdom now that, that will last forever into the family of God in this new beginning I want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life and Lord as the communion elements are in front of us as we begin to prepare for communion I pray that we would really truly This is a time of worship. giving thanks to the Lord for the new covenant. Remembering what Jesus did for us and allowing his body to be broken and his blood shed in this new covenant. And if there's anything that is not right in your life, will you confess it to him right now? He knows it anyway. He's been dealing with you. A sin, a carnality, an attitude, whatever. As you hold the elements, realizing that Jesus went to the cross to die for your sins and to live for him. Not to live for this world or continue in sin and disobedience. Confess it to him. And the Bible says if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So may this be a time of just really, Lord, pressing our hearts in on you being honest with you. In Jesus' name,